Let's open our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to pray together. And we use this time today to ask the Lord to do his work, accomplish his plans and what he has on this day for Watkinsville, September of 2021. He's preserved his word. It's alive and active and we're asking his Holy Spirit to to do his work here today. We also take some time during this point in our worship service to pray for some things specific to our community, our church, our world. We've done some different things, different focus over the last few weeks. This morning I want to ask you to join with me and us pray together for marriages. And um, I want to call attention to one particular marriage today and that's Howard and Linda Abney. They're not in the room uh, but long time a part of our church family. Howard and Linda Abney celebrate today their wedding anniversary of 56 years. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Just celebrate that. Uh, You see a picture of them, uh, Howard Abney and Miss Linda Howard uh, was a long-time surgeon in our community, has cared for a lot of people over the years with health issues and health needs, and now his days are spent 24-7 caring for Miss Linda as her health declines. I asked uh, Howard a few years ago, talking about his profession of being a doctor, I said, Howard, a doctor all those years, how did you know in the beginning that you wanted to be a doctor? And with his quick wit, he looked at me and he leaned up and he said, when I found out that Linda wanted to marry one. (laughs) Their daughter, Christine Mills, writes these words, 63 years in love, 56 years, married vow keepers, Jesus lovers, covenant holders. They did it. They didn't just keep their word. They did it with tenderness, kindness, and grace. So this morning, I want to pray for Howard and Linda, celebrate with them, and also use their story as a call to prayer for marriages in this room and for marriages to come. And uh, the Lord might put on your heart marriages that are not in this room. Let's bow and let's pray. Father, we bow before you and mindful that the book of Ephesians is the book that tells us that marriage is like, it's like a parable of the gospel. We see in marriage, according to Ephesians, something about the mystery of the union of Christ with his bride, the church. And so today, Lord, we we pause to pray for what you have given in marriage to us. Visible before our eyes, just a lifetime of illustration of the relationship. Father, I 
Thank you for Howard and Linda. Thank you for the influence and the impact that they've had on this church, in our community, over the generations of people that have studied in their home, that have uh, walked beside them, have been encouraged by them. And now, Lord, in these latter years of their marriage as Howard cares for Miss Linda. Lord, thank you for the way they continue to model the love for Christ and the devotion to one another. I pray, Lord, for Howard that he would be strengthened and encouraged, given stamina by your spirit. Father, we pray for Miss Linda. Lord, I pray maybe today you would give just this breakthrough moment of sweet remembrance in her mind being married, married to Howard, the fruit of their union, the joys and celebrations that you have given to them in their life. We pray for your presence in their home today to be real and tangible, even this very minute, that they might sense heaven is visiting them right now. Father, I pray for marriages in this room First, Lord, for marriages that have a sense of security, uh, kind of a story of we're doing well, we're doing good. I pray, Lord, that in those marriages that there would be no dropping of the guard. I pray for humility. I pray, Lord, for a dependence on you in that marriage. We pray, Lord, for marriages in this room that might be self-described as hurting, struggling, just in trouble, maybe even lost. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, by the power that raises the dead to life, that you would work in these marriages and, and turn them around and bring life and restoration and healing and grace and mercy and that these marriages Lord that the enemy thinks he has in his grip that that stronghold would be broken and those marriages would find life and be strong and be renewed and Father I pray for those in this room today that might be looking ahead to marriage one day I pray, Lord, that they would see from your word and examples around them a beautiful picture of marriage and the goodness of that union. And Lord, if it would be your will for them to be married, that they would enter that union prepared, humble, with a commitment, Lord, to honor you as long as they're united, as long as they're living. So Lord, um, we lay this before you. We ask you, fathers, we open your word to look at grace and faith and good works that your spirit would be the great teacher today. We would walk away encouraged, strong in our faith and Lord would you save somebody today that doesn't know you in your name we pray
Amen. In 2010, more than one billion people, think about it. In 2010, more than a billion people were clued in, tuned in to watch the rescue of 33 miners that had been trapped below the surface of the earth in the country of Chile. These 33 miners would be trapped beneath the earth for 69 days. A story that talks about these miners, I, I would imagine that if you were old enough to have any kind of sense of uh, memory in those days, that images come to your mind. But listen to a little bit of the story uh, from those days. So the disaster began on a day shift around lunchtime in a, in a mine in Chile. The miners were working deep inside a mountain excavating for copper, gold, and other minerals, and they started feeling vibrations. Suddenly, there was a massive explosion, and the passageways of the mine filled up with gritty dust. When the dust settled, the men discovered that the source of the explosion was a single block of stone as tall as 40, it was as tall as a 45-story building and had broken off from the rest of the mountain and had fallen through layers of the mine, causing a chain reaction as the mountain above it began collapsing too. 33 miners were sealed inside the mountain by this mega block of stone. Estimated to be 770,000 tons of stone. This rock was described as being twice the weight of the Empire State Building. Staring at that flat, smooth wall, Luis Urzua, the crew's supervisor, thought, and I quote, it was like the stone they put over Jesus' tomb. Well, on the 69th day of their captivity, all 33 of those miners would be rescued one by one by one. Do you remember these images? I bet when you see them, you already have them in your mind. There was this one image that just showed up. Uh, can we see those? Can we get to those? Do we have there? Do you remember that? Have we already looked at them? Have they been up there already? Okay. What hour is this? I don't even know where I am. This is, remember that image? And then the next one of the reunion between one of the miners and his family. And then the next image, the cylinder that was lowered into the earth. And those miners were brought out one after the other. They were saved. They were delivered. They were rescued from certain death and separation. They were set free from being trapped. Today, I want to talk to you about a different rescue, about a different salvation. I want to talk to you about your spiritual salvation, the story of how we are saved, the story of how we are delivered, the story of how we are rescued from death, how we are brought together with God having been separated by our sin. 
I want to speak to you on this great subject of salvation. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we could make those three verses one sentence, not original with me, but one sentence would bring those verses together and it would be salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but should never be alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but should never be alone. But really the easy work is done for us. If we need the big idea, if we need a sermon in the sentence, it really is just the verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So let's spend a few minutes talking about salvation and really just a a simple outline of fill in the blank, and it's this, number one, salvation is, and we'll fill in the blank, salvation is our spiritual biography. Salvation is our spiritual biography, and by that, what I want you to see is that salvation encompasses the whole story of our life. It is the story from new birth until resurrection and eternity with Christ. The big technical word for the study of salvation is soteriology. Throw that out there in case you're a trivia knight and it comes up. What is the study of salvation? Soteriology. All right, you win. You're, you're ready for the game show. Salvation is a spiritual biography. Salvation is the, the story of being separated from God by our sin and being brought together with him by our union in Christ to live forever with him in eternity. It involves being united with Christ and how that happens. Salvation is deliverance and rescue. Last week we looked at this, these verses we called picture perfect and we got a picture of who we were before Christ. He says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Before Jesus, we're dead spiritually. He, he says we were following other forces. We were following the prince of the power of the air, verse 1. and uh, We were following the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our body. We were objects of wrath. All of that in verse 1 and 2 and 3 of chapter 2. And so salvation is deliverance from this. It's rescue from the power of sin it's a, it is the payment of the penalty of sin. Salvation is being set free from the trap or the control of other gods, little g. Salvation is the work of God's wrath being satisfied by the work of Jesus. Salvation encompasses it all. Let me give you a definition, just a good technical definition, not so much for copying down, but just to let it settle down in your soul. What has happened in your salvation if you've trusted Jesus? Ken, Ken Keithley says salvation, and there's three parts. Salvation is the work of God 
that delivers us from sin and its penalty, restores us to a right relationship with him, and imparts to us eternal life. You see the three parts there. It's all the, the work of God of delivering us from sin and its penalty, restoring us to right relationship with God, and imparting to us eternal life. That's salvation. Uh, Merrill Unger gives us the expanded version. Uh, a lot of words, long definition, basically the same. He says salvation proceeds from the love of God, is based upon the atonement wrought by Christ, is realized in forgiveness, regeneration, and sanctification, and culminates in the resurrection and glorification of all true believers. But I like the way W.T. Connor puts it. He, he brings it down into everyday language. He says, salvation in its completeness includes everything from the new birth to the final resurrection. And so today when we talk about what salvation is, salvation is not just forgiveness, though that's a part of it. And salvation is not just redemption, though that's a part of it. And salvation is not just grace, though that's a, a part of it. The story of salvation is not just death and resurrection. It's part of it. Salvation is this whole beautiful story. It's the plan of salvation there. God is at work covering sin, restoring relationship, and granting eternal life. So salvation is. Number two, salvation is by be wise, salvation is by, fill in the blank, grace. Salvation is by grace. How, do you, how are you delivered? How are you raised to life? How are you rescued? How is sin paid for? If sin has a penalty, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Who pays that wage? Salvation is by grace. Look at it, verse 8. It's just lifted right out of Scripture in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Salvation by grace. Philip Yancey, writing in his book, Amazing Grace, many years ago, called grace the last great word. What did he mean? He meant that it seems to be the only word that hasn't been Carlos language here, the only word that hadn't been messed with. It's the only word that hasn't been uh, watered down or, or, or tainted. I mean, you think about the way we use our words today. We, we call bad good and good bad. We take Somebody walks up to you and say, man, you're sick. And you're like, I'm so sorry. I no, I mean, you're awesome. You're awesome. We, I mean, we, we change words around, but grace, hey, don't mess with grace. Don't, don't, don't do anything. It's the last great word. By grace, we mean a gift. No, no strings attached. It's not a gift that came where we would say, well, here, here it is. We might say, well, I don't know of anybody more deserving than you. It just stopped being grace if it was deserved. Grace is a, a gift that's undeserved. It's a gift that's unearned. It's a gift that's unmerited. So put that into your, 
into your mind and heart right now that if it's by, remember what we said about salvation, death to life, penalty of sin, power of sin, paid for, broken, missing the wrath of God, all of that comes to you as a gift. Where does the earning come in? It's not on us. Where does the deserving come in? It's not on us. Where does the merit come in? It's not on us. Salvation is by grace. It is great riches at Christ's expense. God pays the price. The cost of that rescue of those 33 miners was estimated to be $20 million. $20 million. Those miners, 33 of them, on average, would make $7 an hour today in American dollars. You divide that out, it would have cost $600,000 a miner to be rescued. What if they, the mine company came to those families and said, your husband's been working for us all these years and he's trapped and he needs to be rescued. If you can come up with $600,000, we'll go down and get him. $7 an hour, they would have to work 50-hour weeks for 33 years with every single penny going. No, no way. You, know, you, you, you can do the math. You see, there's no way they could have ever paid or earned for their deliverance. The mine company couldn't pay for it. It was covered by someone else, paid by for someone else. And same with our salvation, this grace that we call wonderful grace and marvelous grace and amazing grace it's, we try to find all the words for it that we can to describe grace. Several years ago in Romania, I was preaching and had not preached through an interpreter before. And, and, and I were there in Romania and I had my American sermons with me and I was going to preach some of those things that I'd preached before. And I had this sermon the first night in this village on grace. And the outline was God's wonderful grace. God's marvelous grace, God's matchless grace, God's amazing grace. And I'm preaching up a dust storm and just having a great time. And the interpreter, I mean, I don't, I talk so slow, they can just interpret right in between my pauses. And, and uh, we were just having a great time. And, and, and here's, uh, we, we get down to the fourth point, and, and I've, Wonderful grace, marvelous grace, matchless grace. And I said, and, I, and his grace is amazing. And the interpreter's just silent. And I'm like, oh, say it again. And I was like, his grace is it's amazing grace. And he's just silent. And I'm like, what do we do? And I look over at him, and he's looking at me, and he just smiles. And he goes, I got no more words. I've already used all the words we have to describe grace. I feel like that must, in many ways, is like the Apostle Paul here. He, he says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. We, we try to find the words and we just run out of words to describe the greatness, the goodness, the, 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 the wonderfulness of God's grace. It's a gift to us. Salvation is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Number three, salvation is, salvation is by grace. Number three, salvation is through, fill in the blank, faith. Salvation is through faith. 
How, is this, how does this grace come to us? How is this a grace applied to us? We have to receive it. We receive that grace. We believe that what he has done is a gift and what Jesus did on the cross was to pay for our sin. What Jesus did in rising from the dead was this affirmation that he is who he claimed to be and that there is life after death. But it comes through faith right out of scripture. For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. John Stott defines saving faith as this, humble trust. Humble trust. This room is a room of chairs. And today you walked in and when you got ready to take a load off your feet, you sat down. Maybe there's a skeptic in the room somewhere that looked at that chair and studied it and kicked it and shook it to see if it would hold you up. But most in this room, you just sat down in it and rested there and it held you. Believing faith, simple faith, humble faith, humble trust is Jesus being the chair today. And you walk it into him and you take the load of sin off and it's on him and you sit down in Jesus Christ. And from this day forward, you're just resting in him. Not earning your keep, not meriting his salvation, just resting totally, completely, forever in Jesus. Salvation is through faith. Number four, salvation is for, F-O-R, salvation is for good works. Fill in the blank, good works. Don't miss the prepositions. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. Salvation is for good works. You know what the enemy tries to do? You know what Satan tries to do? He comes with a scheme. He comes with a tactic, twisting God's word, twisting God's truth. And he wants you to believe today that salvation is by works. Not true. If he doesn't get you there, he wants you to believe that salvation is by grace and works. And as soon as you add an and to it, it stopped being grace. Salvation is by grace. It's not by grace and anything. It's not by salvation. It's not by, by grace and works. You may not put that sentence together in your mind, but you may live from a position, you may act from a position where you're thinking, I'm trying to keep things right between me and God. I'm trying to make it to heaven. I got to make sure that I show up. I got to make sure that I do. I got to make sure that I don't. Well, you say, Pastor, if you, if you don't stress good works somewhere in there, people are going to think, they can just get saved and hold it right there and, and not do anything for just say, hey, I got my ticket punched and now I live however I want to. The salvation that's talked about in God's word, whether it's the book of James or it's the book of Ephesians, shows us the proper place of works. 
He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. It must have been not just something for our day, but even in those early days of the spread of the gospel where people were wrestling through that salvation maybe was the result of, the, of works, of keeping enough laws, of keeping enough of if I do what the, the, the Jewish system says. He's, he says, no, it's, it's, it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us in this room can say, I, I, I'll be in heaven. It, I'll be in heaven because of what I have done, not, so that no one may boast. And then he talks about works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The fruit of our salvation, the consequence of a genuine salvation is a life of good works. That's the evidence. Salvation by grace through faith for good works. One of the most beautiful word pictures in all of scripture is this word translated in the ESV workmanship. Sometimes used the same Greek word Poieme uh, is, is a word sometimes used to describe craftsmanship, something like a masterpiece, a poem. It's used to describe when somebody writes a poem or puts a, a poem together. Here's my poieme, here's my poem, here's my workmanship, here's my masterpiece, here's my craftsmanship. You may have a piece of music that you write or a song that you write and you may have a piece of wood that you formed or fashioned in your backyard shop. And you say, here's my craftsmanship. I made it. It has a purpose. And he's saying that God has brought to us salvation. We are his workmanship. He knows you by name. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he's created you for a purpose. And he says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's what you were made for. Do you know why you get discouraged and mean, depressed? It's when you stop doing what you were made for. One of the side effects that, are, that, are, that Christianity is experiencing right now from COVID is just meanness. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons for that is, is that when people isolated and went home and they're all to themselves and and we get self-focused and self-preserving. All we can think about is, is, is stuff other than serving others and doing good works and putting others first. And, and, it, and it leads to, do you know what happens when something's made for a purpose and it's not used? It becomes rusty and squeaky. It ruins. You've heard people say before, it's not good for a house to what? Sit empty? It's not good for a house to sit empty. Houses weren't made to just sit empty. You need people living in it, doing things. It, you need the life going on inside of it. And when we have salvation by grace through faith and we're not serving in the way God created us to serve, we get squeaky. We, we, we get rusty. We, we creak when we walk. We, we hurt people. We don't, we don't have life in us. 
because we're not doing what we were made to do. Listen, a tractor doesn't plow to become a tractor. A tractor plows because it is a tractor. And you and I, and your pastor's so smart, isn't he? And I mean, you're just like up here, these tractor illustrations. I know. Listen, when, when, you, when you live, you're not out there on that street. You're not over there in Sunday class keeping babies or out here greeting or helping cars park or giving. You're not doing the things you do that you would call good, thinking, there it was last Sunday I became a Christian. Been trying. No, we serve out of good works. We have a position in Christ and the rest of our life. We're bringing our practice in line with our position. So salvation is by grace, through faith, for good works. Every Sunday when I stand before you, one of my main concerns is that there might be one more life in the mine. Imagine that day when they brought them up. That cylinder went down and brought them up and they opened the door of that cylinder and that miner got out, back down, brought them up. Miner got back down, brought them up. Looking around and they're like 17, 18, 19, 20, 24, 25. Do you know when they got to number 32, 33? It's like, you better not leave me down here by myself. In this room, a few hundred people, maybe most in this room, have been rescued. Salvation has come to you by grace. It's a celebration for you. But there could be one in the room right now that needs to be rescued, that needs to be saved. Would you today, through faith, just sit down in Jesus. Take the load off. Rest in him who died to bear the iniquity of us all. I want to ask our band to come at this time. And as they're coming, not only on these Sundays are we looking to rescue one more not only out there are you rescuing one more, but every Sunday when we come together, it is an anniversary celebration. It is a, a celebration of our new birth in Christ. It is those who have come to know Christ in salvation, coming together to encourage one another, strengthen one another, because they've been rescued by grace. And also... Every day is a demonstration of the life that we have in Christ by serving. Are you doing what you were made to do? We're going to sing that song again and how great this Lord's salvation is. And I want to tell you just one thing as we just prepare to sing here and worship. There at the rescue site where those family and friends had gathered over those 69 days they had a, a name for their camp 
the camp where they had begun to live over those couple of months was called Campo Esperanza. Campo Esperanza. Translated means Camp Hope. Camp Hope. It just reminds me a little bit about what this room is like. It's a camp of hope. There are people to rescue. You've been rescued. And you doing what you were rescued for will rescue others. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Father, we bow before you. I pray you'd save somebody in this room. Encourage believers. Right, let me just, heads bowed in this room. You say, Pastor, today's the day that I want to believe, that I trust. I'm sitting down in the chair. I'm resting in Christ alone today. I just, I just believe. Would you just share that with me by lifted hand? Anybody in the room, just lift your hand. Let me look across this room. Anybody in this room, you say, Pastor, I just, right now, believe. Lift your hand. Thank you. One, two, three. Someone else, middle of the room, middle of the room. To my left here. Anybody? Hands up in the air. I just believe, Pastor. I just believe. Father, thank you for your grace. And thank you that you're still saving people. I pray, Lord, those that indicated to you and to me by lifted hand, they just believe that they would share that with someone in the days ahead. Oh, Lord, we rejoice. How great is our salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Neely, Jason, y'all help us.